Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Hello, hello. In this episode, we are going to share a few articles from the May-June 2017 California Freemason Magazine. And this episode, or this issue of this magazine, was focusing on 300 years of Freemasonry being the tricentennial, and especially focusing on the years 1717 to 1940. Now, with that being said, kind of interesting, there's a timeline here that I'm going to share is called Inspiring Lasting Change, and it actually starts in 1646. And it shows 1646, antiquarian and alchemy student Elias Ashmole becomes the first recorded English speculative mason. And in a couple of our other episodes, um, we've actually talked about book reviews, um, either Elias Ashmole's book or books about him. 1717, four London lodges form the Grand Lodge of England, the first Grand Lodge in the world, at the Goose and Gridiron Tavern. 1719, Enlightenment philosopher John Theophilus de Sagiers becomes the third Grand Master of England. 1723, James Anderson publishes the Constitutions of the Freemasons, the first formal reference to Masonry's religious tolerance. 1731, Benjamin Franklin becomes a Mason at St. John's Lodge in Philadelphia. 1733, Henry Price establishes what will become known as the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, the first in the United States. 1748, Baron Charles Louis de Montesquieu of France publishes Spirit of the Laws, a revolutionary text that introduces the modern era of government checks and balances. 1765 to 1783, George Washington leads the American Revolution with help from the Marquis de Lafayette. 1771, Scottish novelist and poet Sir Walter Scott is born. 1775, Prince Hall forms Africa Lodge No. 1, the first African-American lodge in the United States. 1778, German Enlightenment philosopher Gotthold Ephraim Lessing publishes Ernst und Falk, Dialogues on Freemasonry that Beseech Religious Tolerance. 1787 to 1799, Mirroring Masonic Principles, the rallying cry, Liberty, Egality, Fraternity, inspires the French Revolution. 1791, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart premieres The Magic Flute, an opera with Masonic undertones, at the Freihaus Theater Auf der Werden in Vienna. 1793, wearing a Masonic apron, George Washington lays the cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol. 1806, Mexican independence leader and president Benito Juarez is born. 1821, Simon Bolivar creates Gran Colombia, uniting much of contemporary South America in a republic independent from Spain. 1850, Jonathan Drake Stevenson becomes the first Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of California. 
1854, writer Oscar Wilde is born in Dublin. 1863, abolitionist and pacifist Thomas Starr King serves as Grand Orator in California. 1873, Albert Mackey publishes an encyclopedia of Freemasonry. 1886, August Bartholdi's famous statue, Liberty Enlightening the World, also known as the Statue of Liberty, is unveiled in New York. 1903, Henry Ford forms the Ford Motor Company. 1909, W.E.B. Du Bois is instrumental to the foundation of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. 1911, Roald Amundsen is the first explorer to reach the South Pole. 1914 to 1918, World War I shakes democracy around the world. 1927, Charles Lindbergh makes the first non-stop solo flight across the Atlantic. 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is inaugurated as the 32nd President of the United States. 1939, Clark Gable stars in Gone with the Wind. And 1940, Nazis invade Paris and seize the entire archives of the Grand Orient of France. So that is a timeline of some different events and uh, births and other events of famous Masons. So with that... That concludes this section with a brief timeline, and then the next thing we're going to step into is From Enlightenment to Revolution. From Enlightenment to Revolution Freemasonry's fledgling years had an enduring impact on the future of Western civilization by Kenneth Loisel. It takes a strong institution to abide for more than 300 years, but it takes a remarkable one to endure through 300 years of social change and political upheaval on the scale Western civilization has seen. During the eras between the Enlightenment and the French and American revolutions, society experienced a transformation in how it was organized, how political institutions were formed, and perhaps most importantly, how individual citizens interact with each other. Throughout this profound global change, not only did Freemasonry continue to exist, it served as a catalyst for positive change. How did Freemasonry evolve into the cornerstone of society today, and what factors have contributed to its endurance? The Brotherhood Begins The first Masonic lodges emerged in 17th century Scotland when men who were not stonemasons by trade began to seek membership in stonemasons' lodges. These speculative masons emerged from a wide swath of society, but many were of the gentry. Although there are few definitive records, it appears that upper-class men, like Sir Robert Moray, a statesman and scientist, were attracted to Lodge's ritualized practices, intriguing secrecy, and friendships among members. In turn, these elite outsiders offered stonemasons a reliable source of dues and greater social prestige. Although speculative members joined at varying paces throughout the 1600s, the end result is clear. By the opening decade of the 18th century, at least 25 lodges comprising both stonemasons and non-stonemasons were established throughout Scotland. Early Scottish lodges governed themselves autonomously and shared few standard operating procedures. Each established its own rules of conduct and customs. This contrasted sharply with the Dutch, English, and French lodges that appeared at later dates all of which followed regulations emanating from The Hague, London, and Paris, respectively. The first efforts to standardize Masonic practices under a central authority began in 1716, when a group of London Masons agreed to hold an annual meeting and banquet on the feast day of St. John the Baptist in order to encourage socialization between lodges. 
On June 24, 1717, masters of these same lodges constituted the first Grand Lodge. During the first half of the 1720s, 24 lodges affiliated with the Grand Lodge in the capital, and additional lodges arose throughout continental Europe. Over the following two decades, the Grand Lodge of England continued to assume regulatory powers, transmitting basic guidelines for lodges and candidate admission over lodges throughout the entire kingdom, continental Europe, and colonial America. A Spreading Fraternity As Voltaire's Letters Concerning the English Nation, 1733, and Montesquieu's Spirit of the Law, 1748, testify, British politics and culture fascinated continental Europeans during the first half of the 18th century. There was a deep interest in Britain's freedoms of religion, opinion, and association, with Freemasonry embodying the latter. In the 1720s and 1730s, lodges popped up in all corners of continental Europe from Sweden to Italy. Bustling cities like Madrid, Paris, and Rotterdam, Holland were major Masonic hubs, but Freemasonry also spread to smaller locales with an established military presence or commercial ties to the Atlantic or Mediterranean worlds, such as the French regions of Le Havre and Valenciennes. Like European Freemasonry, many American lodges were formed by British ambassadors, military personnel, and merchants. In 1730, the Grand Lodge of England appointed Colonel Daniel Cox to charter lodges in the British colonies of New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, though he apparently never exercised his authority. A few years later, Bostonian merchant Henry Price was appointed the Provincial Grand Master of New England and Dominions and Territories thereunto belonging, responsible for cultivating Freemasonry's North American growth. After working under the aegis of Boston during the 1730s and 1740s, Philadelphia received the deputation from London. The Grand Lodge also allowed some American lodges to function independently from provincial authority, such as one in Savannah, Georgia, which began meeting in 1733. By the late 18th century, Freemasonry had grown along North America's eastern seaboard and throughout the Caribbean, from Nova Scotia, Canada, to the West Indies. Over the next century and a half, the craft spread westward. In 1848, the first lodge was formed in California. The state's Grand Lodge was established in 1850. Early Diversity Unlike the first speculative lodges, American and European lodges after 1750 welcomed diverse social tiers to their ranks. Founded in 1772, St. Luke Lodge in Dijon, France includes skilled artisans like plasterers and silversmiths. In the United States, clockmaker Emmanuel Roos of Philadelphia and printer Thomas Fleet of Boston were active Freemasons. Freemasonry appealed to many different types of men because it was a hybrid, amorphous sociability blended with diverse content. Fashionable cultural currents of the time, like mesmerism, occultism, and the pseudo-scientific teachings of colorful figures like Count Cagliostro, who claimed to possess psychic powers and created an esoteric ritual system of 90 dizzying degrees, they all found their place within Enlightenment period lodges. In continental Europe, the variety of ritual styles contributed to Masonry's allure. It was not considered to be a secret society. Freemasonry depended on publicity to attract new members and to defend itself from accusations ranging from sodomy to atheism, but one that could impart hidden knowledge of the supernatural. One colorful member was Robert Samder, 1682-1745, of Hanoverian England. After briefly considering a clergy position, he began translating French works to English, including Charles Perrault's children's favorite, Tales of Mother Goose, but also pornographic tracts such as the ribald Venus in the Cloister, the publisher of which was later condemned for obscenity. Samber's Masonic connections were printed for all to see. A 1722 translation was dedicated to the Earl of Burlington, 
likely a member of a York Lodge in Northern England. Samber was closely associated with two English Masonic leaders, the Duke of Montague, Grand Master in 1721, and the Duke of Wharton, Grand Master in 1723. During this period, Samber also translated from French a treatise entitled Long Livers. Keeping a Masonic audience in mind, he dedicated the alchemical text, which promised to reveal the rare secret of rejuvenescency, to the Fraternity of Freemasons of Great Britain and Ireland. Within its opening pages, Long Livers praised Masonry as a royal priesthood, a universal religion, free of pagan idolatry, but nonetheless maintaining pompous sacrifices, rites, and ceremonies, magnificent sacerdotal and Levitical vestments, and a vast number of mystical hieroglyphics. This emphasis on religious tolerance within the controlled setting of the Lodge reflected the inclusive universalism that preoccupied American and European Freemasons in the Enlightenment. Brethren were building upon a tradition of ecumenism that traced back to the mid-17th century. They particularly admired theologians Henry Moore and Ralph Cudworth, who emphasized religious tolerance among Christians. One of the founding fathers of French Freemasonry, Andrew Michael Ramsey, placed Freemasonry squarely in the history of Christian brotherhood, for like our ancestors the Crusaders, he hoped Masonry would unify Christians into a spiritual nation that would transcend national, linguistic, and denominational differences. Erasing Religious Divides A notable difference between Anglo-American Masons and their continental counterparts was that the circle of tolerance was wider among the former than the latter. An anonymous orator from Boston spoke of his lodge in 1734 as a paradise, promoting a universal understanding among men of all religions, sects, persuasions, and denominations. This sharply contrasts the Berlin speech of the same period, which restricted Masonic membership to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Non-Christians, even those who were initiated elsewhere, routinely found the doors of the fraternity closed to them in Germany, France, Spain, and Italy. In 1746, the English Lodge in Bordeaux, France, debated, can one initiate Jews into the order? Bordeaux was a port city with an important Iberian Jewish population who were interested in Freemasonry, but the Lodge secretary recorded that the proposition was completely rejected. Throughout the century, there was little evolution on this question. In 1783, a master in Le Mans stipulated that brethren must profess ordinary religion, but he went on to explain that this meant to be good, sincere, modest, and a man of honor, and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This policy resulted in Jews and Muslims' continued exclusion from many 18th century continental lodges. Despite discrimination against non-Christians in some regions, however, Freemasonry overall clearly resonated with the Enlightenment ideals of religious tolerance among Christians of all stripes, which was first espoused by Pierre Bayle, a French Protestant living in exile in the Netherlands, and especially by John Locke in his landmark Letter Concerning Toleration in 1689. Locke's call for religious freedom was partly the inspiration for the American First Amendment drafted 100 years later. Cornerstone of Civic Society Notable Freemasons like George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, the Marquis de Lafayette, and others famously participated in both the French and American revolutions. However, Masonry's connection to these conflicts is complex. It is true that in officer elections and selective mixing of wealthy commoners and aristocrats, lodges were quasi-democratic arenas. But this did not contradict the ruling status quo of early modern Europe, since most Enlightenment-era Freemasons were remarkably deferential to existing political regimes and both absolutist and constitutional forms of monarchy. 
Perhaps the most tangible connection between Enlightenment Freemasonry and revolutionary politics was Freemasonry's emphasis on fostering civic virtue among brethren. When Washington wore his Masonic apron at the U.S. Capitol inauguration in 1793, he was sending an unambiguous public message that Freemasonry constituted the cornerstone of the new republic. He stressed that it taught the duties of men and citizens and represented a lodge for the virtues. During the tumultuous times of the late 1700s, American Freemasonry sought to be a beacon of stability. Members hoped that Masonic values and strong friendships could heal fractions caused by Republican and Federalist politics and form the bedrock of the new nation. They looked to classical philosophers reviving Aristotle and especially Cicero, who became one of the most popular classical authors during the 18th century. Greco-Roman antiquity celebrated friendship as a private bond that expanded to strengthen society as a whole. Freemasons believed friendly relations could strengthen the body politic, uniting American men outside their family orbit and into the realm of national civic life. They hoped sociability within their lodges would cement together the whole brotherhood of men and build them up as an edifice of affection and love. The Lasting Impact of Brotherhood French brethren saw their lodges as utopias of friendship and civic virtue. On the eve of the French Revolution, Masons expressed deep anxiety about the moral corruption plaguing the kingdom. They believed friendship and morals could only be regenerated if the selfishness that corrupted human social relations could be expunged. And their surprising approach to rebuilding French society was to better one man at a time by identifying men whose virtue and upright morals stood out, then bringing them into the Brotherhood. They believed that Freemasonry was the best possible environment for nurturing civil discourse and propagating friendships that benefited brethren and larger society. That virtue and friendship could impact the entire political system. As one lodge officer wrote, We cultivate virtue, offering the sovereign of the fatherland loyal subjects, adding to all the links that connect one man to another the most precious of all ties, that of a true and disinterested friendship. These are not futile tasks, but useful and precious ones, and it is masonry that imposes them upon us. Freemasonry's detractors during this time disavowed these rosy assessments. They saw Masonic friendship as dangerous to the nascent political order, as a rival set of allegiances echoing the powerful aristocratic networks of earlier days. A committee of public safety representative closed all lodges in one French city during the reign of terror, stating that Freemasonry prizes a far too intimate friendship over the austere rigidity that anchors the inflexibility of republicanism. Covered by the cloak of friendship, conspirators can take up arms against freedom. In other words, while Masonry could form the bedrock of a new state, it could just as easily birth contrary political allegiances or trump patriotic sentiment. This statement is disparaging, but almost equally validating. Revolutionaries on both sides of the Atlantic recognize the immense power and possibility of Masonic Brotherhood. Since the Enlightenment, Freemasonry has continued to evolve into a worldwide fraternity, yet it remains anchored in the foundational values out of which it arose, philanthropy, friendship, and religious tolerance. Although these ideals are embraced throughout much of the world today, Freemasonry continues to play an important role in ensuring that these universal values remain at the core of our society. Just as we are not able to definitively chronicle Masonry's role in the past, we cannot predict its capacity to shape the future. It is up to each Mason and each Lodge to harness Freemasonry's ability to effect lasting change. And then there's an editor's note. 
Kenneth Lucell, Ph.D., is an associate professor of history at Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.